Welcome to the Brain Health Revolution podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. We're so, so excited Absolutely. to have our friend, uh, Robert Cheek, New York Times bestselling author of this fabulous book, The Plant-Based Athlete, A Game-Changing Approach to Peak Performance. You guys have been reading this book this month. This is the book of the month, Robert, and everybody's been going through it, and we've been talking about the fantastic information that you've presented here. So, you know, taking the liberty of representing our lovely community from the Brain Health Revolution, I want to welcome you and thank you for being here with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thank you so much. We've been hearing from about your work for years now. Oh, yeah. And I think for the first time we connected last year through the internet. Uh, the one year that you couldn't, we couldn't do the the cruise. We had to do, you know, we we got in yeah. uh, uh, through online, yep. so it's okay. We did we did the online cruise, but it was a uh, wonderful talking to you and, and and knowing your journey and what you've done. For us, many of these conversations are much bigger, more meaningful than just the immediate conversation. It is about what we do in this planet, with communities, with with how we empower others. It's it's much, much, much bigger. And so you are, and I'm not giving you fulsome flattery. We talked about this with Brenda and the people that we bring here, we really, truly respect deeply. And we really respect all the work that you've done. And um, and this book is absolutely fabulous. Oh my goodness. Uh, science based, no fluff. I mean, it's just amazing. And for us, exercise and athletics is a critical component. In fact, to, to, to be honest, when we start programs at the core, the first step is usually exercise. So, so that's why we 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 really value your input this uh, this uh, in this conversation. But before we start, we always want to ask you know about your background, your 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 interesting past, uh, and how did you get to this point? Yeah, well, well, thank you again, and I appreciate uh, the introduction, the kind words, and uh, words from our mutual friends. Um, really appreciate that. I do have a really interesting background, I think. Uh, we all do, but mine, I, I think, is unique to the space of being a vegan fitness author. When I grew up on a farm, uh, raising animals for food and selling animals at the auction and bottle feeding baby calves before going to school and raising Cornish crossbreed chickens to get really big, only about six weeks old, then sell them to be turned into someone's meal. And, and all the while... Uh, that I was this this farm kid, I was interested in in superheroes like Captain Planet or He-Man, these muscle uh, figures, uh, and, and some in pro wrestling, I have to say, um, that were you know characters created and played by humans, but the others were cartoons. But they were big, strong people trying to make a difference in the world around them. But when I was in the eighth grade, age 14, I believe, I only weighed 89 and a quarter pounds. I wasn't exactly your next superhero next door. And uh, I was just sharing some photos yesterday with someone from uh, on the freshman basketball team in high school where I barely weighed 100 pounds. And I became vegan the following year. And that came about because of my older sister, Tanya. We grew up on a farm together, like I said, and, and she became a vegetarian at a young age. She had this compassion for animals at maybe eight or 10 years old. And she's two years older than me. But by the time she was a senior in high school, she decided she wanted to do something more about it, to bring 
more awareness to it. So she organized this, what she called an animal rights week at our high school. And I decided to go simply out of respect for my older sister, just to support her work. She was a senior. I was a sophomore. I was a five-sport athlete in high school playing soccer and basketball and wrestling and track and field and cross country and even recreationally playing tennis and, and other sports, cycling and you name it. And I decided to attend on December 8th, 1995. And that's when I first saw videos of large-scale factory farming and animal testing and though I grew up right next to a dairy, even when there were you know, piles of cows there that had passed away for whatever reason, uh, and there was another dairy down the road, and we had a small family farm, it was really this large-scale business that started to bother me as a teenager and impressionable individual right before the internet came about in the mid-1990s. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to stick with this. But I had some concerns, some concerns many people still have today. Will I get enough nutrition? Can I get enough protein? Can I build my body on a plant-based diet, which is what I always wanted to do? And by this time, I only weighed 120 pounds as a as a, a now um, a 15-year-old in high school, about to turn 16. But I went after it and I stuck with it. And I asked my older sister, I mean, you know, don't I really need, you know, meat, milk, and eggs? And I was drinking milk to the point that it almost made me sick because I saw the commercials, milk does the body good. And I would drink it, trying to get bigger and stronger. And my sister said, no, Robert, you know, we need the nutrition that's commonly associated with meat, milk, and eggs, but we don't need those. We don't need it from those sources. And in fact, those aren't always the best sources either. You know, we can get protein from plants. We can get calcium from plants. We can get vitamins and minerals, you know, from plants. In fact, that's where they originate from. So I gave me a little more confidence, uh, but it was, it was a challenging time because there weren't a lot of people doing it. The internet was was just coming of age. I mean, there wasn't Google or anything like that. No YouTube. Uh, books by John Robbins and Howard Lyman and, and, and Brenda Davis and a few others. Uh, but not a lot of resources, not a lot of support in an agriculture community. But I, but I, I stuck with it. And eventually I, I started lifting weights and realized that my, my real goal, and this is authentically true, it's, it's wholeheartedly honest that my my goal was that if I could build muscle without eating animal protein, that could inspire others to do the same and it would save animal lives. So I didn't come at this initially from a plant-based nutrition perspective. I didn't know a whole lot about that at all. I just wanted to make a difference in the world around me. And what happened was, I mean, with the book out there, of course, you know the rest of the story. I went on to build muscle. I won multiple bodybuilding competitions. I filmed a documentary about this in 2005 called Vegan Fitness Built Naturally and sold a few thousand DVDs that, DVDs that I toured around the country. And I worked for Forks Over Knives and helped launch that film. I took Dr. T. Colin Campbell's plant-based nutrition course through Cornell University, and that changed completely the way that I looked at protein and processed foods. And I got away from sports supplements back then in 2012 and haven't used them ever since, aside from vitamin B12 and occasionally vitamin D, occasionally DHA, EPA but no sports supplements, no protein powders, nothing like that. And I got bigger and I got stronger even as I aged. And I went on to put on a full 100 pounds and became a 220 pound champion vegan bodybuilder and have now written a few books on the subject. And But it started in an agriculture community. And I failed to mention my parents met in the animal science department at Oregon State University. And my father is a world renowned animal scientist. He's uh, authored about 15 college textbooks about raising animals for food and has traveled the six continents 
teaching people to do that. So I I certainly went a little bit against the uh, the family tradition there, but <laughs> it has worked itself out well yeah. and has been a very, very meaningful and rewarding journey. And I'd like to think that it's it certainly helped a lot of people reclaim their health and help save a lot of lives along the way, which is exactly what I wanted to do when I started this more than a quarter century ago. Uh, is uh, your dad, you know, what's the situation with your dad and you as far as uh, uh, this, this, this whole, the fact that he's written books like for animal farming and you, you've written against basically. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a, a, you know, a major or he's retired now, but was a major professor of animal science mm -hmm. and an authority, especially on, on raising rabbits, uh, but other, other animals as well. And he, he, he said this jokes uh, quite a while ago. I didn't tell you the full story. You know, my sister became vegan. I became vegan in 1985. My youngest brother became vegetarian and he was only 11 years old and he still is to this day. In fact, recently vegan because he did everything that I did. And my other brother, uh, just a little bit younger than me, went on to become a cattle farmer. And so my, my, my dad would joke that, you know, he had four kids and only one of them turned out right. Uh, the one who right now runs a legitimately, you know, multi-million dollar farming business out in Oregon and uh, raises cattle and other crops, grass seed, oats, and I think manages thousands of acres. But, you know, it was interesting. Yeah. You can, you can only imagine family gatherings back then. Yeah. And especially oh, yeah. because I did get into this for animal rights reasons, and I'm still compelled by that today, more than 25 years later, there were some, some heavily engaged and passionate conversations around the dinner table. And uh, and even my, my sister on her her vehicle, her Volkswagen bus would have a bumper sticker that said, if you love animals called pets, why do you eat animals called dinner? And right next to her was my brother's pickup truck with a gun rack that said, enjoy a juicy steak tonight. And, and that's what it was like for years and years and years. But my, my father invited me to speak to his classes at Oregon State University. His, his classes on, um, he actually had some ethics and animal agriculture classes. I don't remember exactly what they were called, but along those lines, he would ask the question, yes, we're animal scientists. Yes, we're raising animals for food and exploiting animals for this purpose. Should we know better? That was part of his, that was part of his question. He would ask his students, is this an ethical thing to do when there's other ways to earn a living or other ways to treat animals or other crops we can grow to be farmers and be productive and, and successful individuals in our own right, should we, should we do better if we know better? Basically, you know, along those same lines as, as if we knew, if we could see how our food was being produced, we would all, you know, swear off meat and become vegetarians. He, he had a bunch of famous quotes, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s that would, were used all over the internet asking those questions, those interesting questions yeah. about yeah. what yeah. is an ethical stance that we can take even if we're in this industry. And so yeah. he did for about three years, invite me to speak to his students, which was uh, always an interesting and fun opportunity. Now, this is, uh, this is amazing. I mean, the journeys that people have to get here. I mean, what we're talking to our audiences that come from varied backgrounds, we talk about the fact that irrespective of why you're here, uh, even, I mean, what we're kind of pushing at the core in this population and, and this group is the health component. And, and there's no question that even uh, from that perspective, it's the optimal diet, yeah, which is a plant-centered, plant-forward, you know, plant-only, whatever you call it, uh, whatever the term is, 
or as you and I usually talk about, even the Mediterranean, it's actually not Mediterranean, it's plant-centered and 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 just yeah. called that. Yeah. It's it's just amazing that how important this concept is to be promulgated and spread out. Absolutely. Yeah. It's incredible to hear your story. And then sometimes so I was just when you while you were talking, I just thought it would be so much fun just to be a fly on the wall during Thanksgiving or Christmas dinners and just see how you interact, you know. It's but it just tells about, you know, how committed you are to this and how well you've lived and how much you believe in the benefits of a plant-based diet. And so, you know, for someone who's been an athlete and, you know, you quoted the number more than 25 years or so, how have you seen nutrition and this plant-based or at least a plant-centered approach kind of evolve in the last few decades? Because, you know, it's been an exciting movement and mm-hmm. with a lot of impediments and some moments where we've made a lot of progress too. And I would love for you to actually tell us, you know, how this fitness played a role in the rise of health in mainstream athleticism and you know what's your experience with that yeah thank you i think the most profound observation is simply this 25 years ago when i became vegan there was a lot of concern my parents were concerned for my health and my well-being my teachers my coaches my teammates because i was a five sport athlete there was concern robert is not going to get enough nutrition he he'll, he'll be malnourished he might even get sick maybe worse fast forward 25 years later what are people saying i know i should be plant based for my health i know i should go vegan yeah. for my health yeah. i know i should re- i should reduce my meat intake and reduce my animal protein intake i know i need to increase my antioxidant intake i know i need more fruits and vegetables it's the complete opposite everything has changed yeah. the whole entire perception has changed and and also the entire food market has changed now we know the basics have always been there all along fruits and vegetables grains legumes nuts and seeds they've always been there they're they're there at our disposal whether whether it was at a co-op grocery store in the 70s mm-hmm. 80s or 90s or your standard uh, shopping market a grocery store or your your corner street market in anywhere america and and, and largely around the world Produce has always been there, but in this vegan food world, which makes it, you know, cool and contributed to the growth of the movement, all these vegan festivals and conferences and exotic events, vegan cruises, you mentioned earlier, other things, (laughs) the food has changed dramatically. And as our friend, Dr. Michael Clapper says, it's the food, it's the food, it's the food. So food is our gateway to health. Food is our fuel. Food is our recovery mechanism from exercise. Mm -hmm. Food is our nourishment. It's our replenishment. It's all of these things. But if you were vegan and let's say like me, maybe a teenager or, or a, a young, a young person and being very social and wanting to go out to restaurants with friends and all of that, you you were limited. You, you were absolutely limited. Whereas now, uh, today, there there's vegan food options essentially everywhere, and I'm I'm not I'm not saying go to the nearest convenience store or fast food restaurant and go indulge in whatever vegan offering they have. But the fact that it's there, and for small communities like mine that I grew up in, in a farming community, to be able to go and get something that was that would be cholesterol free, lower in saturated fat, void of animal protein completely. And, and higher in antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, and, and real nutrition is meaningful. It makes a real meaningful difference. And so the entire food landscape has changed. And the fact that, and I'm not saying because of me or my website or anything like that, but, but collectively, 
the Brendan Braziers of the world, Fiona Oaks of the world, Scott Jerks of the world, all of us collectively showed unequivocally that you can build your body on a plant-based diet. I mean, I gained 100 pounds and I realized most people don't want to gain weight, but, but you know, most of mine was, was muscle, of course. And I yeah. went on to become a champion athlete in multiple sports as did Fiona Oaks and set world records and Scott Jurek and, and Brennan Brazier and, and all these others like Rip Esselstyn, our good friend and, and Christine Varderos and Laura Klein and so many plant-based athletes who have were pioneers in the movement, which then led to the people like Cam Newton or Chris Paul or Kyrie Irving or the really big name, Venus and Serena Williams. It, it had to start yeah. somewhere. And it started right. with a committed group of individuals who said, yes, I can. Yes, I can build my body this way. Yes, I can commit to whatever ethical, moral, or health stance that I'm aligned with. Yes, I can do this because the the, the science has always been there that these foods have benefits, even if we didn't discover it fully until later on, that these foods were the ones we want that are high leafy greens and nitric oxide and vitamins and minerals and the the, the dark pigment fruits for, for, you know, great antioxidant content, these anti-inflammatory properties and all that. We just know more now, even if those options were always readily available for us. And so yeah. now we can make these really educated decisions that, you know what, regardless of this protein obsession in the Western world, I know that complex carbohydrates are going to be better sources of micronutrients for me. And they're loaded with fiber and all these benefits. And, and I know that one of the Achilles heels of the American diet is dietary cholesterol. And I can leave that out. I know that Within every family, we all know people who are suffering from diet and lifestyle-related diseases. Oh, absolutely. And that's painful. And we've all been in this position where we've all lost loved ones, you know, probably mm -hmm. even within recent years, myself included, um, including very recently. And that's tough. That's tough when you, you see family members maybe who never enjoyed a day of retirement in their entire lives, but ate a very heavy animal protein diet where farmers lived on a farm ate restaurant foods every single day, didn't cook at home, but were loaded up with saturated fat, sodium, animal protein, and you know they're not here anymore. It, it, it's a reminder of, of Dr. Michael Clapper's expression. It's the food, it's the food, it's the food. It's the food that's gonna heal us, it's the food that's gonna hurt us. And yeah. I made that decision as a teenager that I've stuck with for 25 years where I would ask that question, what will this food do for me? I mean, I would actually say that sometimes in the grocery store. Is this food hurting me or is it helping me? And do I want to spend hard-earned money on something that's going to hurt me? And I was a bodybuilder. I was focused on high net gain, nutritional return on investment. I made those decisions. And just to tie it all back in, the opportunities now, the 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 food, the accessibility, and the perception of a plant-based diet is completely different than it was many years ago. And it's it's why so many of us are, are able to connect together and, and collectively, uh, you know, change the world, you know, one bite at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. I mean, just for my own sake, two more athletes that you forgot, uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton, the greatest race car driver, sure. 
and Djokovic, my favorite yes, player. Yes, yes, yeah. I didn't, I didn't forget them. I just didn't mention them. They're, that's the thing. I could mention Carl Lewis, right? Who was one of my idols and yeah. one of the greatest Olympic yeah. athletes in history. Who really put plant-based wow. diets on the map. There, there's, wow. there's, there's a million we can mention. Vanessa yeah. Espinosa yeah. talk about all the the wonderful female plant-based athletes as well out there that are often underlooked and yeah. underappreciated, yeah. and the, and the way that yeah. they've, uh, you know, paved this road in so many different sports, especially endurance sports and in tennis. Sharon Feichman, who was in, in Tokyo just recently representing her native country of Canada in, in women's tennis and who's featured in my book as a, a, a great plant-based athlete completing there in Tokyo. Or David Verberg, who's an Olympic gold medalist in sprinting, one of the fastest human beings yeah. on earth. He just posted a photo today with my book in a bookstore. So don't worry, oh. Dean. I didn't forget. I don't forget Lewis. No, 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 There's no. just so I, many. I, I, How do you get them all in? There's so many. No, it, it, it's remarkable. We'll get into the details of this, of how it increases recovery. Yeah. And it increases recovery significantly for athletes. Imagine what it's doing on a day-to-day basis, meal-to-meal basis for the rest yes. of us, for everybody else. Right. It's just, uh, so for us, when we talk about this, we think it's the number one piece of health information out there by far. I mean, we were just now on call with Us Up Against Alzheimer's, which we're kind of proud that we're on all of these conversations with AARP, with AR, you know, all these uh, incredible conversations. But there was a time that this was controversial or this was like looked at as the V word or this or that. No, it's about the fact that plant-based diet significantly increases recovery and significantly reduces trauma in our case, to the most important organ, the most sensitive organ of them all, the brain. Right. Uh, so it's not even controversial now. In every circle we sit, there was a time that you would be like, oh, you know, is this something to bring up or not? Now it's like they bring it up saying, we understand, we recognize this is at the center of it all. So it's just remarkable to see the shift. Now, having said that, having said that, now the world is changing. Everybody's accepting it. Everybody knows it's at the core. We worry about, because when it comes to behavior change, we worry about impediments. And impediments are not individual. Well, impediments are not general. They're individual. There are different impediments for different people. Uh, I would love to start by talking about the impediments that you experienced growing up, and you talked about some of them, and the impediments that you even experience now, and and the impediments that you see in for others and how they can potentially overcome those. Yeah, absolutely. One of these is this obsession with protein. We need to address this thing. It may be the most important thing that we can address. Just like you said, recovery may be the most important or reducing inflammation, let's say, or or, or expediting recovery. That may be the most important byproduct of a plant-based diet for athletes. And and therefore, like you said, for regular everyday person who wants to have maybe uh, less acute soreness or chronic soreness or chronic inflammation or wants to be more active and not not feel as much joint pain or whatever the case is, it's something that impacts everybody. There's something else that impacts everybody too. And it is this collective obsession with one macronutrient. And by doing so, we absolutely basically prevent ourselves from consuming the more nutrient-rich, nutrient-dense, greater nutrient-per-calorie ratio complex carbohydrates found in leafy green vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, legumes and fruits that we're just, we're not consuming because we are obsessed with protein being added to everything that we eat. Protein water, protein popcorn, protein drinks, protein bars, anything. So yeah, the reason I, I want to bring this up is because 
that is going to be an obstacle for people uh, adopting a plant-based diet, especially men, especially young men, but really anybody and those who have been living an omnivorous lifestyle for a very long time, buying into this idea that protein is this revered macronutrient that everyone needs to consume as much of as possible, which simply isn't the case. In fact, consuming excess amounts or copious amounts of dietary protein, especially animal protein, could have adverse effects uh, over time on all kinds of things from consuming excess calories, excess saturated fat, plaque buildup in arteries, implications for kidney, liver, energy levels, fatigue, you know, excess body weight, feeling sluggish, which then leads inactivity, which then leads down this, you know, path of chronic illness and, and struggle. So if we can just finally address this protein thing head on and realize we don't need that much of it, it's easy to get, and you very likely have never met anyone in your entire life that has a clinical protein deficiency unless they have an eating disorder or they're in a developing country, they're in a food desert, they don't have access to calories, or they're literally starving. Yet we've met almost anyone you see Go to, the, go to the grocery store today, the shopping mall, walk in a park, go down the street, visit any city. Almost everyone you've ever met consumes more protein than they need, which oftentimes leads yeah. to excess calorie consumption, obesity, all these things. Yet they're still being marketed the fact that they need to eat more or drink more of it. Yeah. Something that they're reaching all of the, they're exceeding their daily needs of this one macronutrient, but they're being sold and marketed this idea they need more of it. And this is a problem because if we can't address this, we can't always inspire people to adopt a plant-based diet because the question remains, even for me for 25 years now, I was asked this question yesterday or the day before, you know, when people see me wearing around, you know, vegan strong on my shirt or some sort of expression, (laughs) where do you get your protein or how do you get enough? Uh, So we need to talk about that. So There's general recommendations, you know, something around uh, 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, uh, something around 56 grams for men, 46 grams for women throughout the day. But really, it's not gender specific. It's more what your body type is like. I mean, you could be a six foot four female basketball player, you know, 200 plus pounds or a, you know, five foot one, 125 pound male who's a long distance runner. You know, so it's not necessarily gender specific, but it's really about body mass and what your real protein needs are based on your your size and your activity level and, and things like that. But it's not that much. It's really not that much and it's easy to attain. And so one rule of thumb is that if you can figure out what your true calorie needs are, and you can do that different ways, including using the Harris-Benedict calculator, which factors in your gender, age, height, weight, and very importantly, your activity level, and it'll give you an approximate number of calories you expend per day which is what you would need to consume to maintain weight. If you consume your your absolute calorie needs, you will essentially by default reach your protein requirement needs simply because of the, the macronutrient makeup of food, that food is made up of yeah. protein, carbohydrates, and fats, and you know water, fiber, alcohol in some cases. But, but even if you were to eat something you know, completely kind of silly, like, like only sweet potatoes or, or only beets, but you eat, you know, 2,500 calories of them, you'll get enough protein. So a, a diet with any kind of variety, any kind of variety at all that reaches your true calorie needs will reach your protein needs. And for those who are yeah. athletic, especially maybe in strength sports, lifting weights or football or contact, or, you know, I don't know, something that's, that, that, that uh, gets the heart rate going quite a bit, uh, maybe consume a little bit more but it's not necessarily consuming a higher percentage, but just, you know, 
a little bit extra calories because you're burning so many more anyway. So just a little bit more rice and broccoli and black beans or a little bit more sweet potato or another piece of tofu or, uh, or add some walnuts to your oatmeal in the morning. It's, it's, it's really as simple as that. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. The Harris Benedict calculator, that was useful because that's one question that we get almost all the time. Yeah. What about protein? I mean, especially, you know, no disrespect to men, but men basically freak out when you tell them that you can, you know, you need to stop eating meat because it's not really beneficial for your brain health. And so that is a very, very important question. And Robert, what about this whole notion about complete and incomplete proteins? You know, yeah, I know that we essentially get amino acids and all of our amino acids from plants. Yeah. But how would you answer a question when people say that plants are incomplete protein? You know, I just answered this in Philadelphia a couple of days ago, uh, having this conversation. It, it, it's funny, we obsess about this thing. Well, I need, I need all my all my essential amino acids in this one concentrated source right now. Really? Is that is that how you get all your, your antioxidants for the entire day in one meal? Is that how you get all of your fiber content? Really, really in one meal, you get all of it. You know, we don't do this for any other, any other aspect of nutrition. You, I mean, did you, did you, you get, uh, you know, all these other components all in one meal? No, we get, like you said, Aisha, we, the, the amino acids are, you know, the building blocks of protein that are found in all types of food. And, and yes, plants contain all the essential amino acids, some just higher amounts or lower amounts than others. And so we accumulate that all throughout the day, throughout this 24-hour eating period. And our body is so sophisticated, it, it balances things out and, and, and pulls them together and uses them as needed, just as we we eliminate things that we that are excess. You know, you can't do 50 grams of protein in a protein drink and accept, and expect to absorb all of it at one time. You can't, you just your body's going to eliminate it. You're just going to yeah. get, get rid of some of it. And so... So, so plants do contain all the essential amino acids. Now, if, if one food is, you know, higher in one and lower in another, which is how that popular, you know, uh, combining rice and beans, you know, came together in the seventies or eighties, right. you know, diet for a small planet and all that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't have to be done in a single meal. Yeah. Our bodies are so sophisticated. I mean, do you have all your eight cups of water consumed, you know, in one meal? No, we, we just accumulate this stuff over and over and over. So you're eating levels of amino acids that are completely different in in yeah. almonds, in kale, in brown rice, in, in in jasmine rice, in sweet potato, in broccoli, in blueberries. It's we, we need to not uh, overthink things or have this reductionist approach. We just need to eat the the our favorite plant-based foods, the ones that we actually will eat, uh, the ones and, and add a little bit of diversity in there um, at all. And, and remember that, that that many people who are not necessarily on the plant-based wagon eat the same three or four meats, you know, all, throughout their entire lives, the same couple uh, cheeses or eggs th their entire lives, then a handful of fruits and vegetables, legumes, grains, nuts, and seeds. Most people, and I wanted to make this point, uh, maybe um, when I was talking about the, the last question, this idea that m when we talk about Harris Benedict calculator and, and being aware of what we're consuming, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. 99% of people are, are unaware of what they're actually eating as far as an accurate assessment of yeah. calorie intake, protein, carbohydrate, fat intake, and even sometimes the variety of food. We just don't know. We just say, oh, I eat pretty healthy. Yeah. But when you're asked to put it to the test, 
document it and then put it into my fitness pal or chronometer or some level of accountability. Wow. Maybe one of the most eye-opening things you'll experience. Say, wow, I've been plant-based all these years, but I don't eat leafy greens once a week maybe, mm-hmm. or um, I had no idea I was addicted to caffeine or or that I have chocolate three times a day. I just didn't know that. Or I didn't know that I only eat bananas, apples, and, and oranges, the, the three cliche fruits, but there's you know thousands out there and I just, I only do these three. I just didn't know that about myself. Or, or I may live in the desert or some very warm climate. I think, you know, like, I think you're out in Southern California, warm, but I don't, but I only drink 32 ounces of water throughout the whole day. This transparency and awareness can change everything. So so I wanted to just make sure I throw that out there with this question because yes. most people are eating the same 10 or 12 things every single day of their lives. And that wouldn't be an issue if there was a lot of variety there. But the reality is maybe eight or nine of those are processed items and the rest are just you know condiments or sides on the plate. And we wonder why we have a lot of chronic illness and malnutrition. We're, we're, especially here in America, such a rich society that is overfed and undernourished. Mm-hmm. How is That's that possible? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. there's, there's you know, a lot of reasons for it, but. Such um, uh, um, chaos, uh, psychological chaos going on in our uh, policies. On the one end, we're subsidizing the most unhealthy yes. Uh, um, uh, foods you can imagine in history. And on the other side, we're supporting a $27 billion uh, NIH and and, and a, a trillion dollar healthcare system that's supposed to avoid these diseases. Yes. I mean, th- th- that's to me is bewildering that that cannot be as, uh, uh, analyzed and, and reversed. Um, of course, there are special interests and all of that, that that's a separate issue, but, but it's just bewildering. It now, really one of the things that we talked about is that if you eat a diversity of food, you're going to get all the nutrients and everything else, but we still have to be a little bit planned. Yeah. I mean, we always say, whatever you're eating, you're going to have to plan anyway. I mean, yeah. and even if you're eating a plant-based food, you have to plan just to be make sure that you're getting not just so much you, that you're getting enough protein. That's the least of your or problem. Or missing anything. Or missing anything. Yeah. But making sure that you're getting enough calories, which is the calculation that you're talking about, and, and some of the other nutrients that maybe B12, being aware of that, and omega and things of that nature. And and although we don't believe in you know superfoods, we, we we don't want to promote the concept of superfoods. But there are some foods that have more nutrients and 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 a little bit more of a punch. What would you consider some of the more nutrient dense foods out there? Yeah, well, I like you know I like Dr. Furman's Andy score, the Aggregate Nutrient Density Index, which uses thirty seven different factors to uh, determine the, the most nutrients per calorie that you get. That's kind of his health equals nutrients per calorie, and I'm sure there's. And numerous other systems out there, but the the idea is that you evaluate a food based on its nutritional return on investment. And leafy green vegetables are atop the list, no question. They yeah. are. They're very low in calories too, so you're never going to overeat on them. You just can't do it. They're only sixty to hundred calories per pound. Where you compare that to oil, for example, of four thousand calories per pound. I mean, it's just one fortieth. You know, I mean, it's yeah. you, and, and processed foods tend to be twenty three, twenty four, twenty five hundred calories per pound across the board. We're, again, we're talking like 125th of that calorie density, but the nutrient density is huge. So leafy green vegetables tend to be at the, the top of the list for sure. Cruciferous vegetables, things like broccoli and cauliflower 
and uh, and numerous others that fall in this cruciferous family tend to be right there after them. And then fruits, especially those dark pigment fruits, like the high antioxidant content you'll get from blackberries and blueberries and raspberries and and probably cranberries and cherries and some of these other ones, really nutrient dense fruits. Uh, there are other fruits that are more watery and and you know not quite as strong of a nutritional punch, but they're still they're still better than you know eating processed bread and, and all these other things. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. and then really it gets really close between legumes and nuts and seeds. And of course, you think about seeds as like this essence of life. You know, things you know, sprout up from them and all of that. And so, you know, seeds of chia seeds, hemp seeds and all that. But those you have to remember, those aren't like the center of your plate. You're not making a you're not making a big dinner around sesame seeds, you know. (laughs) So so you have to realize, okay, this is not going to be a significant source of calories. So legumes are going to be probably a a better option there. Nutritional return on investment, beans and lentils and all those things, which, by the way, are the most affordable foods as well. Nothing more affordable. Uh, I wrote a 35 page paper about that. The true cost factoring in subsidies and all this other stuff and, you know, you know, potential um, risks, health risks and all that. And and, and just the true cost of food and uh, lentils and and other dry beans in bulk were the, the cheapest you can get. And so That's it's a, those types of so great, that, so great that you said that because I wanted to hop the one the second thing we hear after protein is oh eating a plant based food is uh, diet is very expensive no, and no. cannot be further no, from no, the truth no no it's actually and I've and I've I've done this I've spent hours and hours and hours and wrote this thirty five page article it's 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 on our veganstrong.com website it's something called like uh, the true cost of food or something like that but but it's it's the foods like rice and oats and beans and lentils and all legumes that are the most affordable. You know, nuts and seeds are, you know, nuts are going to be more expensive because they're they're more labor intensive, they're more water intensive. They they have a a higher price point at the grocery store because they're they're seasonal and all these other factors. And uh and then I'm ta- also talking about the nutritional return that you get from these foods. So you might say, well, there's this hamburger bun. That must be cheaper. You know, it must be like 5 cents. But it doesn't give you a nutritional return on investment. It's like eating paper or cardboard. You're 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 not that doesn't compare to even a teaspoon of lentils. Or so you have to factor in the return on investment as well, not just the cost per pound yeah. at the store, because there's going to be a different calorie density uh, between, let's say, even uh, kale and lentils is going to be fivefold: five hundred calories right. per pound of lentils and one hundred or less calories per pound for kale. And it, you, you compare the cost, but also you know, the, the calorie density and, and what you get out of that, that serving size. So, so I'm glad you mentioned that it is, it is absolutely, absolutely affordable. And, and in fact, I, I've really in recent years gone out of my way to, to shop at the most ordinary stores possible, because I, I don't want this elitist image that vegans and people on a plant-based diet can only shop at Whole Foods Market and these other exotic stores, because there's something I don't know. There's something really nice about supporting little little corner markets and little farmers yeah. markets and community yeah. markets, and, and also e- even you know large big chain grocery stores. I won't mention their names, but they're often kind of frowned upon as oh, this is a real cheap kind of store and all this. But th- that it's that is where the majority of America shops, and and to make plant based food available and accessible and affordable there is is a great win for the environment. It's a great win for animals, mm-hmm. great win for human health, and so 
it, yes, it's the diversity of nutrients, but I also don't want it to sound like, oh, you have to have this crazy varied diet, uh, you know, as a, as a vegan or someone on a plant-based diet. Right. No, what I encourage people to do, and as I did in my book, is to get out a pen and paper and list your five favorite fruits, five favorite vegetables, legumes, grains, nuts, and seeds. That gives you about 30 or so if I'm doing the math right. Six categories of five yeah. to, to look at and say, wow, look at all these things. Then you then you piece together your oatmeal, your burrito bowl, your green smoothie, your fruit platter, your pasta dish, your salad, your whatever, your tacos, your burritos, whatever you're doing based on the foods that you actually like that are completely whole food plant-based, the ones you know that you'll eat and the ones that you know are going to like love you back too, as far as your health is concerned. Yeah. And, and you guys yeah. know the benefits of beans. I mean, the common th theme oh. of the blue zones from the dietary standpoint for the longest lived populations in the world, beans, 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 and, and you can tell me, maybe it's, is it the, is it the fiber content? Is it because they're eating that instead of an animal protein source? I mean, what is it about that that's making populations live the longest and healthiest active lives? There's something about legumes that are getting it done. <laughs> oh, it's all of them. I mean, what it has that's beneficial and what it doesn't have that's right. harmful. Right. And the calories and the protein and the fiber. I mean, it's just pound for pound. It's not to, to us. It's not even comparable to the junk that we're pushing on our kids right. in, our, in the school systems, right. the poison true. that's actually accumulating in, in their neurons and their brains is, is just not even comparable. I love your book for many reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is because you, you, you give very easy to follow directions based on science. And one of them being that people don't need to paralyze themselves. I think I see a tendency that all of us are so obsessed about the foods that we eat. And, you know, it, like you said, it kind of brings this elitism in food where it's only thought that people who have the resources can only live a long, healthy life. And because you can't afford or you don't have access to, you know, special foods, then your health is not going to be as good. Not knowing that if you just have the basics, two or three basics, say potatoes or say brown rice or some kind of a whole grain along with some vegetables, I think most of your needs are met and you can live a very, very healthy life. So I love that about your well, book. Well, thank you. We, we try to do a lot of handholding because I've been doing this for so long and I'm doing it so I can make a difference in the world of uh, around me, people's health, animals' health, environment health. And there's there's so much temptation out there. There are food deserts and convenience stores and 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 fast food restaurants and and the whole rise uh -huh. of fast food and family diners and microwaves and all this contributed to our obsession with obsession with protein early on decades ago and continues this day, especially in in the sports nutrition world and in the uh, machismo world of of you know chicken wings and with sports and all this stuff and it's it's really grotesque to me and turns me off. And I want to say something quickly because it, this could be important. We're, we're almost cursed because of our privilege here in America that we have all of these options. Some of the healthiest foods I've ever consumed have been when I visited poor villages in Indonesia or Thailand or in the Caribbean where, where fruits grow in abundance and greens and fresh food is available and rice and beans are a staple in their diet. And, and you, you, you'd have to travel far to find one of those junk food uh, you know, corner markets that sell all the processed foods with the bright color packaging. It's it, it's really getting back 
to the basics, but still enjoying it. I mean, to me, yeah. the best tasting, the best tasting food in the world is fruit. Like this is, I mean, I, I just took the, the dogs for a walk right before this call and I was picking apples from the tree while uh, my neighbor gave me permission, by the way. So I was eating and nourishing <laughs> from my neighbor's tree during my, as I was exercising while being out in fresh air, walking the dogs, being, you know, with my wife and with our family and all this connective stuff that, that when we get into this environment where we go to a, a, a fast food restaurant, we don't even get out of our car, we don't exercise, or we sit at a, a family diner, which is designed to be extra fatty, extra oily, extra uh, salty. So then we come back and it's affordable and it's subsidized food. And, and we, we get in this environment that doesn't, that's not conducive to making healthy decisions. But if we can yeah. incorporate some sort of activity, some sort of movement, some sort of exercise, if you will, and mm-hmm. and some sort of natural way of eating that's not that's right. not hyper processed and marketed and packaged with yellow, orange, and red colors at very very cheap yeah. prices. We can get back to reclaiming some of our health. The problem yeah. is those places, convenience store, fast food restaurants, family diners, dominate the food landscape in America and largely around the world now and that's what we're up against and uh and that's a tall order that's one of the greatest obstacles anyone is ever going to face in their lives is the marketing of some of the most unhealthy foods possible and the temptation Mm -hmm. uh to to not be able to pass them up because their price point their flavor profile and the addictive nature that makes them perhaps a staple for the rest of your life until Unfortunately, that lifestyle diet lifestyle often contributes to a a, a shortened life, as we've seen time and yeah, time again, yeah. including again in my own family and friends, including in recent uh, recent memory. Right. As someone who has a keen understanding of of the environment and some of the challenges that people have, knowing all this these marketing schemes and the kind of foods that are you know that are surrounding it, how do you manage that? I mean, you travel a lot. Yeah. You're you know, you you see you go places, and how do you manage navigating through that space? I mean, obviously, your commitment to it just is more than just you know eating healthy yeah. food. So it's pretty anchored and strong. And that's one thing that we always talk with our kids about. You know, there you you have so many strings attached to your to your mission in life that it's not too difficult to to kind of you know get off track. You you stay on your track if you have a good understanding of what your goal is in life. But say for example, if somebody has who has just started, you know, it's really hard for them. So how do you maneuver? How is your food different from when you're at home in your comfortable environment yeah. and when you go out and you don't have any control? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question and. And it can often be a difficult scenario. I like to say that I've, you know, dur- during this these 25 years I've been vegan, I've visited about 33 countries and uh, some were just brief visits, of course, but I've never really run into major obstacles or or temptations that have led me astray. And part of it, just quickly, and I, and I know you already alluded to this, but there is no temptation. People people say, don't you miss, don't you miss when you walk by the meat aisle? Don't you miss? No, I mean, I'm, I'm repulsed by it uh, because I know where it comes from and what pain and suffering went into that and, and what an environment had to lose its natural resources for that to be there or a family that had to lose its, you know, family of animals had to lose their, their lives because of it. I'm not tempted at all. And I've also 
like many of us, you know, I, I've, ex- I've experimented with some levels of fasting. Like it's, it's okay to take a cross country flight and not eat on it, you know, and know that once you get there, you can go to any grocery yeah. store anywhere and, and find a bunch of produce to eat. But in a more yeah. practical sense, in a, in a more practical sense, there are vegan options at restaurants all over the world. I just saw Eric from Happy Cow two days ago in Philadelphia. You can use a Happy Cow app and find vegan restaurants or vegan food options anywhere in the world. And I've used it from Asia to Australia to Europe to North America, all over the place. And it's been it's been wonderful. And as far as how my diet changes, I would say, and I think it's just being fair and honest, that I would eat more processed foods when I'm away from home. In fact, mm-hmm. why not? I was in a great vegan-friendly city of Philadelphia for five days for work with one of my best friends, and we went out went out to a vegan restaurant every single night. I don't do that at home. That's not in my budget. That's not my interest. It's 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 not my even my health and nutrition interest with all the extra oils and salts and everything in restaurant food. Mm-hmm. So so that's one way that it that it that it differs dramatically. Where at home I have a little more control, as my my friend Chef AJ says about describing uh, particularly unhealthy foods. If it's in your house, it's in your mouth. And so at home, I can have some sort of control. Like I'm not going to let this food into my house, into this environment. And I try the best I can with that. I still, you know, there's still some vegan junk foods that come in. But when you you exercise often and you have the foundation of your diet, plant-based, whole food, it, you know, there's room for you know, vegan ice cream and all of that. It's part of, I think, a, I think yeah. part of a healthy relationship with food emotionally. So yeah. that's one thing I want to communicate is that in your own home environment, you've got so much control. Mm-hmm. But when you travel to still, you still stick with the plant-based plan, but you don't have to just stick with carrot sticks and celery sticks from Safeway. You can go to a vegan mm-hmm. restaurant, indulge in their offering where you're supporting that movement and that growth of this this culture of vegan food and 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 feel you know, completely justified and, and okay with that. Um, yeah. But but I will say, I mean, after all of these years, I haven't run into problems. It's not, it's, this is not the obstacle that some people might think it is. Uh, I mean, it's mm-hmm. the plant-based foods are there and you decide. And also I am such a big fan of international cuisine, an unbelievable fan. Mm-hmm. Of Thai food, yeah. Indian food, yes. Mexican food, <laughs> Ethiopian food, <laughs> Japanese food, Chinese food, Vietnamese food. I mean, I am talking about cultures around the world that are primarily rice, vegetable, tofu, curry, you know, greens, uh, types of types of dishes. These restaurants are everywhere in America and everywhere yeah. around yeah. the world. And so look those up too. We did, That's the first thing we did. This last trip in Philadelphia, we didn't go to an all-vegan restaurant. We went to a Thai restaurant that had an entire vegan menu on it and yeah. ate inter- great international cuisine. And then we did like the, you know, the vegan pizza and sandwiches and all that later on. But we started a little bit healthier. Yeah, no, no, that's true. There are a lot of options nowadays. Amazing, amazing, yeah. yes. All right. So this is all wonderful. Can you give us some examples of people who have been on plant-based diet for a long time? I mean, other than yourself, of course, you know, you're super healthy, you're successful, but give us examples for long-term plant-based health, you know, yeah. who would be some of the examples? Yeah, exactly. Like, like the, like the Esselstyn family, you know, from, they started in 1984. And I think that's a good question, Aisha, because 
that's another obstacle aside from the protein. It's like, well, how long do people stick with this thing? You know, is it South Beach diet, Atkins, keto, paleo, or people changing it every few years? No. One of the things I'm really proud of, uh, especially in the plant-based athlete, because we're talking about world-class athletes. There are uh, there are a few people in particular. Uh, Shonda Hill comes to mind. She only has a very small part mm-hmm. in the book. Just by the nature of the interview was pretty short with her and I couldn't get more more info to include, but she has been a world champion ultra triathlete. Okay. So most triathlons take, uh, let's say the Olympic level. Uh, what do they take? I don't know, 12, 14 hours or 10 hours. I mean, it's a long event. Her mm-hmm. events don't take 12 or 14 hours. Her events take about two or three months. So she's actually swimming hundreds of miles, cycling thousands and thousands of miles and running in the either hundreds or even over a thousand miles. I can't remember. It's this ultra ultra extreme sport. It's obviously not for everybody. It's not for me. But I point that out because she is a world record holder in that. And she's been vegan since birth. And her brother is an Olympic medalist and an X Games gold medalist snowboarding. So here he is, this Olympic champion, uh, this Olympic, me- I think he won silver. So Olympic medalist and this X Games medal, which, you know, I think he high- holds as even higher esteem than the Olympic medal because X Games is so yeah. popular. And he's been vegan since birth. And then the real kicker for me is my friend Jahina Malik. She is a IFBB professional bodybuilder. This is the highest level of bodybuilding, which is synonymous with animal protein and testosterone and and just building muscle. And she is a professional bodybuilder who's been vegan since birth. And she has four or five siblings, all been vegan since birth. In fact, I met her mother when I was on a speaking tour in Florida like 10 years ago before I ever even met Jahina. Those are three examples. And, and of course, they're all in their 30s or you know 40s. But there's people like Fiona Oaks who has a, a Guinness World Record for the the greatest, um, or the fastest uh, accumulative time running marathons on on every continent, including Antarctica. And she has been plant based since uh, she made this decision for whatever reason when she was five, and now she's in her 50s. Five decades of being an elite runner. And I just saw her a couple of years ago in LA. She is still competing at a high level in her fifties. These are all athletes, right? These are all athletes. But then you take, like I said, the Esselstyn family, you take John and Ocean yeah. Robbins, you take the Campbell, you know, Karen and Colin Campbell and, and their kids and Michael Clapper, who I just adore and, and Brenda Davis, who I love and all these people who they've not only been living this way for 40 or 50 years. They have been pioneers in this movement and have written best-selling books, have filmed documentaries, mm-hmm. have paved the way for people like me to come along. You know, yeah. without the resources, the very limited that I had in the 90s, without John Robbins and and Brenda Davis and Howard Lyman and, and others, like, who knows, you know? Yeah. But, but I, I wanted to lead with the athletes first because people think, well, mm-hmm. okay, Serena Williams goes on and off, right? She's plant-based, then she's not. And then she's plant-based, then she's not. Okay, well, they're, they're, and Lewis Hamilton, okay, he's kind of new to this. He's a great champion, the best in a sport, but he's still kind of new to this, right? Yeah, but there are world champions, world record holders who have been doing this their entire lives and never had animal protein. And it's worth it's worth sharing those stories. And that's why, right. of course, right. Brendan Brazier, Scott Jurek, I mean, legends in this, in this industry. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to write about many of the non-celebrity athletes in our book that you can discover. Laura Klein and Mary Schneider and Vanessa Espinoza 
and these wonderful athletes who have this this great history in this movement. And uh, yeah. so the longevity part is what what, what my co author Matt Fraser and I think is maybe the second. Uh, well, I mean, this maybe the second most prominent benefit, probably the best overall lifestyle benefit, of course, is, is long health and longevity. But um, aside from the improved recovery, the next thing is the longevity aspect. I mean, how is Rip Esselstyn setting a world record at age 58 or 59, and, and having been plant-based <laughs> for, what, um, 35 years or something? Because yeah, right, and, and how right. is Fiona Oak still competing in her fifties? And why is Rich Roll? I just saw him last week in L.A. and now he was swimming. Yeah. You know, I saw him today swimming in some race or something. Yeah. And he's fifty-five. I just talked to him about that, yeah. about his his age and his performance, and it's inspiring. I mean, that's the it's thing. Incredible. And you know, so many of our friends and colleagues are. I mean, I'm going to a conference this weekend. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, speaking in person and, and Dr. T. Colin Campbell speaking, Dr. Michael Clapper speaking, I, and I believe they're there in person, just like me, not remote. And, the, and I mean, they're they they're they're vibrant and active. And and I have to leave you with one more example because it was so inspiring. I've been on this vegan cruise for a, a decade, 10 years. That's where I met yeah. my wife, yeah. you know, a big, meaningful. It's a big, meaningful thing for me. I was so inspired a few years back. Uh, Dr. Carl Esselstyn joined us halfway through the cruise. He didn't want to do the whole thing. <laughs> so yeah. he joined us in some Caribbean island. The same day he was there, I saw him in the gym working out. And at that point, yeah. he was in his early to mid 80s. I was like, you kidding me? And then I looked around. There was Karen Campbell, Dr. T. Colin Campbell's wife, working out in the gym. In fact, two years ago, she was at my fitness class on the pool deck. Uh, and, and of course, Brenda Brenda Davis was there and she was outperforming all of us. Uh, and it's, I mean... the. I'm not the the longevity is absolutely there in health and mm-hmm. vitality yeah. and in athletes and non-athletes alike. And there's just countless examples of those of us who've been doing this for decades. And in some circles, I'm maybe the shortest, uh, uh, you know, vegan span um, when you talk about some of these other legends who've been doing it for 40 or 50 yeah. years. It's just incredible. Yeah. And yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to share some of them by name because yeah. they're, they're, they're out there changing the world because of the example they set. Very we, true. On, on our end, um, uh, we can't say this enough. We keep saying it to the point that uh, people, you know, don't believe the degree to which it affects your brain, the sharpness, the alertness, the awake, wakefulness, yeah. you know, um, uh, the sense of focus. Focus is increased significantly by just, cleaning up your diet and becoming plant-centered, plant-forward, plant-based, whole food plant-based, just the level of focus then, and that focus opens up the doorway to memory, executive function, everything. It's just bewilderingly positive uh, the, uh, when people do actually start living it up. Yeah. Just just last week, uh, two of my patients came in, 83 years old each. Yeah. These are the patients I've spoken about before. They both were diagnosed with, uh, and I'm not saying something that, that's been not been uh, said, um, with cognitive decline, and they came in. They uh, 83 years old, husband and wife. They went plant based. They did the cognitive exercises and stuff, but it's the plant based component. And my goodness, they are sharper now than they said that when they were in their you know earlier age 50s. Yeah. And and it's literally because of that food and and the elements that that uh, that uh, a plant plant based diet 
can give to the brain, this overly energy-needy energy, energy needy, uh, uh, organ. So with that, I think we should get to the questions. Well, um, one question that I had was, um, you know, a lot of people who go on a plant-based diet, Robert, um, there's some unwanted weight loss uh, oh, sure. that yeah. comes along with sure. that. And I think it kind of balances out. But I wanted you to touch on that because I'm sure you've worked with a lot of your clients and your your uh, you know people who follow your uh, your program. And what is your experience and what kind of you know advice would you give to someone going into a plant-based lifestyle? I'm glad you asked that. And I'll try to be brief because I'm usually not, which is obvious. <laughs> because I've experienced that as a bodybuilder my entire life. Here's the scenario, just real quick, especially with men, especially athletes. Here you have this omnivorous athlete, big, strong, consuming, let's just make up a number, 3,000 calories per day as an omnivore. They switch over to a plant-based diet. They swap out meat for salads and for fruits and vegetables and these other things. Immediately, they, dr they drop to a 2,000 calorie diet and they start losing weight, maybe sometimes losing strength, losing speed. They say, what happened? They cut out mm. one third of their calorie intake and they're wondering why they lost weight. This is simple math. But again, it goes back to they're not aware of it. Most people are not aware of what they're consuming. If you asked all your friends, sit around the table, how many calories do you consume per day? Nobody knows. And not that you have to count, but if you want to have some control over it, you want to have control over weight loss or weight gain or or maintenance, you want to stay the same weight like 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 Mr. Rogers did, you know, his entire career, then then you have to know. You have to know some of this stuff. And so that happens right. all the time, especially with athletes, including some very high profile NFL players. I'm talking like Tony Gonzalez style, the greatest tight end in NFL history. Yeah. Do Dr. Campbell yeah. worked with him. Uh, I was interviewed with him for the Wall Street Journal or Washington Post, one of the two, I guess Wall Street Journal. And he he lost a bunch of unwanted weight because he his calorie intake diminished. And then he once he figured it out, he you know balanced out again. Same with David Carter. We told that story in our book. You know, same thing. Yeah. But not just athletes, anybody. And, and not not just yeah. men and not just, you know, uh, younger people. It's you You have to, as you replace animal protein for plant-based protein, you've got to find a similar calorie density. And so what I mean by that is that meat, animal foods could be 1,500, 2,000 or so calories per pound, I think on average. And, and most, as we established, most plant foods are one, two, three, four, 500 calories per pound, except, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. except for things like nuts, seeds, nut butters, avocado, breads, other things. And so you've got to bring some of that heavier stuff in. So that's where the burrito bowls with the avocado mixed in is helpful. As I mentioned earlier, putting things like walnuts on, on oatmeal with berries for antioxidants and some other things, nut butters uh, on anything. It could be vegetables. It could yeah. be a sprouted bread. It could be anything. These are going to help bring the calories bring the calories up and they don't just have to be all fat calories. I mean, you can still get some great calories from sweet potatoes and lentils and beans and all of that, that are, they're low in total fat. Um, not just, you know, I'm not just talking about nuts and nut butters alone, but that's what we have to be cognizant of. We have, have to be aware of the calorie density. And so we talk about that in our book too, but you got to swap in the right types of foods in order to avoid the unwanted weight loss. And also Dean, you're going to like this. 
you've got to put stress on your muscles. You've got to do some exercise, especially leg exercises. Yeah. That's a great yeah. way to yeah. maintain muscle mass, bone strength, bone health, muscle density, prevent injuries by actually using your tendons and ligaments and muscles so that if you, yeah. if you happen to fall or slip or whatever, it's not a completely foreign movement because you've been doing mm -hmm. lunges or squats or some, some machine exercises at your local gym or taking a Zumba class or whatever. So you can move laterally and forward and back and you're not yeah. going to sprain an ankle or something. There's so much, there's so much important aspects in that as well. And I said, I'd be brief, so I'll stop it there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love no, it. Wonderful. This was such excellent advice. And especially when it comes to uh, making sure that people understand the change in their calorie intake yeah. when they take on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. And you spoke about exercise, and I think that's critical too, because um, a lot of, uh, well, uh, most of the lovely individuals that we work with are 65 yes. plus, mostly in their 70s and 80s. And so if they stop eating the standard American diet, moving on to a plant-based diet, there's a radical shift in their calorie intake because of atherosclerosis and all of that. They do benefit from it, but at the same time, they lose a lot of muscle. Yes sarcopenia yes. and that makes their legs weak so exercise is critically important um as far as exercise is concerned and you know it's important to ask you tell us exercise techniques that are high yield that are just incredibly important for people to own at, at least on a daily basis if not well I mean, on a regular basis let's sure. say to build muscle and to make sure that they don't lose muscle mass while being on a plant-based diet. Well, the first thing I would say, and I, I may have said this with an interview with you a while back, is that the most important exercise to do is the one that you actually will do. Uh, the one that you yeah. enjoy, the one that you will do. If someone prescribes you have to use the rowing machine three days a week and you don't have access to one or don't like it, uh, but dancing is something you love, but no one told you to dance or gave you permission to dance, and you just skip everything, you're not making any progress. And so it has to be the exercise that you are willing to do. But if you can find some weight bearing exercises, some body weight exercises, I mean, the exercises, uh, Dean and Aisha that I do on the, on the cruise, these absolutely even wipe me out and there's no equipment necessary whatsoever. Yeah. What we're doing are yeah. jumping jacks and squats and lunges and push-ups and dips and static holds and it's 100% body weight. There's not even a single resistance band. There is not a a, a a step to step up on. There's no, no BOSU ball. There's nothing. It's your own body weight and you can do amazing things with it. It just takes the discipline, the, the desire and the routine, the habit forming to actually do it. Uh, that being said, mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a large portion of my audience is 60, 70 plus. I've spent years mm -hmm. with Forks Over Knives and Engine 2 and Holistic Holiday at Sea Vegan Cruise. And a large portion of my audience is in that age demographic. And I'm a big fan of developing habits and being consistent with those. It's the only way I had any success as an athlete. When I was a champion runner or champion bodybuilder, it's because I showed up. Showing up is more than half the battle. If you can show up and use the 1,440 minutes you have every day to get your exercise in and develop healthy habits and eat healthy food and, and think positive thoughts and, and be optimistic and, and read and, and be in nature and laugh and all that stuff, you're, you're in a great spot. But so it starts with being consistent. So if you do yeah. have access to a gym, that's great. That's great. And, and the gym that I go to is very, it's more like, you know, the tennis club and all this other stuff and swimming pools and, and weights. And it's a very high demographic of 60 plus audience. And there's, there's those great 
circuit machines. And, and I use them all the time too, because you don't have to balance free weights and don't have to risk a shoulder injury or a knee in injury or, or not knowing how to balance this, you know, this certain type of movement with dumbbells or barbells or guess the right weight. You simply can get into a machine where it does the, the movement for you. And you can do these kind of, I recommend pretty high repetitions because we don't want to get injured. We don't want to push heavier weight than we, you know, we're not back in our college days or, you know, we're not, we're, we're we have to understand what our own, uh, not necessarily limitations are, but what our capabilities and adaptations are at the certain time. And, uh, and that's true for anybody, myself included, uh, you know, you, coming back from an injury or taking a, a break from lifting, we have to understand where we're at and respect that and honor that and have no ego attached to it whatsoever. No matter who we are, yeah. Yeah. And, and and we Absolutely. and we can use these machines and develop our, our muscle strength, and we can target our chest and our back and our shoulders, legs, abdominals, arms, glutes, and all these different ways, and and, and mm -hmm. do that a, a few days a week, and that could build up to four days a week. It could build up to five days a week. I'm also a big fan of 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 walking, even as like this former champion runner. I don't see it as like a you know, like a, a, a week exercise or anything like that. I mean, I, I love going for walks in fresh air in the sun. I do a lot of thinking that way. I take the dogs with me or I go on my own or I took a walk with my wife yesterday when I got back from Philadelphia, just the two of us. It's it's a great way to burn calories, to to develop some bone strength and density and, and to be active. It's good for cardiovascular health, for lung strength, for heart health, for joints, for abdominals, for our legs. Yeah. It's great. So we can start with that. The most important thing to remember is that just because you don't have access to X, Y, or Z, you don't have a gym or you don't have a pool, you don't have a bike, it doesn't mean to not do anything. Mm. It means, if you look at the blue zones, why are people living so long? Well, not just because they're eating beans, but because they're they're gardening. They're walking uphill, you know, up inclines, and they're walking long distances, and they're, you know, and there are other aspects of it too that that bring about this joyous, happy, long life. But part of it is understanding. As that's why I mentioned dance at first. We don't think about dance yeah. as exercise. We don't think about gardening as exercise. We don't think about painting the house or you know d doing. Um, tasks or chores or whatever, but it's absolutely climbing upstairs. We have stairs in our home. That's those things are all exercise, but we just paint exercise this picture of, of wearing spandex and a, and a bandana and grunting in the gym. Maybe that's how I do it, but it's not for everybody. Yeah. No, I don't actually do that, but it's not, it's, that's not for everybody. Exercise is what yeah. you're willing to do, what you enjoy doing and what you'll do in, in developing a habit, which then becomes routine, which becomes second nature, which which becomes who you are, your identity. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and, I, and exactly. so I love exactly. that. I love that so much. Yeah. Um, yeah um, that's quite empowering. Yeah, yesterday uh, we do, we, we live on the beach and uh, we do this these walks uh, as a family right on the, I wouldn't call it boardwalk, on the walk um, uh, in Redondo Beach, all the way to Hermosa, which is about 2.5 miles. Yeah. <laughs> And the whole time, Alex and I were throwing the ball with my good arm now, and and then Sophie's on his, her skateboard, and the epic nature of that experience, oh, so exercise, yeah. environment, meditation, you know, life building, it's just remarkable what we exercise. We take our music with us too. Oh yeah. We, There's we, some we, music in the background. We can be a little obnoxious. We have this little music thing. We <laughs> listen to our, you know, Aisha's into the Bee Gees nowadays. So <laughs> I just I made that up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's such a beautiful yeah. thing. It is as simple as that. Today we were talking and somebody was talking about brain building exercises and lumosity and this and that. No. 
dance yeah learn how to dance that's exercise that's meditation that's mindfulness that's cognitive exercise simple things what you do in, in your book what you were describing which is that eating a plant-based diet is not expensive eating being an athlete or exercising does not have to be a contrived experience of going to a gym although you can do that it's simply being in your living space some people kind of come to me and say oh you know, Dean, I don't have any space. I said, do you have enough space to stand in your living room? Yes. One of the best things you can do is w make a rule. If you're watching TV, stand and s do steps in your space, yeah. just in that space. And if you want to make it a little more complicated, get a little, you know, bored or something that you can step up and down. Simply that is better than, uh, than you can imagine. And so I, I love this book, what you've said in this book, how you've empowered people with amazing athletes yet it's something that every one of us can do yeah, absolutely. Uh, as as human beings to help uh, ourselves our planet it's, it's just bewildering we love we love this book well, thank you um, appreciate that we, we love everything about this message that you're you're giving to everyone you know this has been such an amazing conversation robert every time we we speak with you you give us energy knowing that there are individuals like yourself who are promoting you know such an important message and you're not just, you know, talking about it. You're actually a living example mm. of that. And I think that's such a gift. So we're grateful to you. Do you have a recommendation about a dietary lifestyle? Actually, a lot of people asked, they wanted to know what you eat every single yeah. day. You know, what does an athlete like yourself eat every single day? I would like to know that. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah. So it, it I appreciate that. And thank you for the kind words and support of the book and everything. It's It's been wonderful. You know, what I eat does vary a little bit because I, I develop habits like everyone else that change a little bit where sometimes I'm just obsessed mm -hmm. with bananas and for breakfast and these applesauce and the other things. And other times it's oatmeal every day. And other times it's seasonal fruit, like right now, you know, the end of mm -hmm. stone fruit season, peaches and nectarines yeah. and apricots and all that. But in general, as a rule of thumb, you know, what I typically like to do is I start my day with water and fruit. I just I just think it's a fantastic way to start the day, get some hydration and get some fruit right away. And then I do something a little bit heavier like oatmeal. And I know I've said it at least four times during this talk already. Oatmeal with walnuts and fruit. You get these great calorie-dense oats. And then you get the, the omega-3 from walnuts. And you get the antioxidants from blueberries or strawberries or whatever you yeah. add. And, and, and lately, because I haven't been you know, having as many salads as I probably should, maybe it's some sort of like green smoothie or something like that or green drink, something maybe to uh, to continue on with that with that breakfast. And then I like I like things like bananas as snacks. You know, I work from home. I do travel a lot, but I work from home, work at the computer. I write. I do interviews, podcasts and stuff. And so I like that bananas as snacks. I think they're as good as it gets of any food because of their their nutrient return on investment, their calorie density, how filling they are and how practical they are. They're just, you know, peel, eat and done. And <laughs> and, and then I will eat some Lara bars. Uh, Lara bars have about four or five ingredients. That's it. Sometimes just four. And they're dates and nuts, basically, just a little fruit and nut bar, uh, which is about 200 calories per bar. And I might have, you know, one or two of those as snacks. And then for lunch and dinner, it's typically the international cuisine. I mean, it's it's like a burrito bowl for lunch. And I'm very lucky. Yeah. I'm very, very lucky. And I'll say that a third time. I'm very lucky that I have a wonderful wife who 
likes to batch cook a bunch of things so that we can eat things like we have batch amounts of brown rice and black beans and pinto beans and and uh, salad greens and all of this stuff so we can mix and match different flavors of burrito bowls all throughout the week where maybe there's some have mm-hmm. mushrooms, some have olives, some have pepperoncinis, some have s- different salsas, other ones don't. But the foundation is the same of beans and rice and avocado, lettuce, tomato. But then I can change all the other flavors that I want. Uh, yeah. Put peppers in there, change the nutritional profile. And we do that for other things too, to have these bulk quantities of lentils or, you know, whatever we want to make for that particular meal. Yeah. And so for me, it really is kind of like a, a burrito bowl, but I also have oftentimes like bulk amounts of Yukon gold potatoes or sweet potatoes, foods like that, that are fantastic for lunch. So let's say I do a burrito bowl and then throughout the day, I'll have again, more different types of fruit, like picking apples from my neighbor's tree or eating different fruit because it is my absolute favorite thing. So I might snack on blueberries, raspberries, and none of this is boring, by the way. These are foods that I love. Uh, Watermelon, I was big on that earlier this year, and pineapple and different melons and uh, cherries are probably my favorite food in the world. And so I snack on that and then I go exercise. I'm actually, I usually exercise around this time. So I'm going when we're done here. I've already done the dog walk, but I go to the gym in the evenings. And that's, for me, that's kind of by design based on my lifestyle. I do all my work, kind of traditional nine to five, nine to six hours. And then I walk the dogs and then I go to the gym, which then I have my post-workout meal and dinner at the same time. And so, cause I don't do yeah, things like protein yeah. drinks and supplements and all that. I just don't do it. I haven't in a decade. The only supplement I use is vitamin B12 and occasionally, like I said, vitamin D or DHA, EPA, EPA omega-3 central yeah, fatty acids. Yeah. And, and so I come home and that's when I have, again, you know, maybe it's Thai fried rice or a pad Thai or it's a pasta dish or it's lentils or my wife makes these stir fries with, you know, green beans and tofu and tomatoes and peppers and mushrooms and all this and rice and and it's a great meal. It's like the ideal food yeah. of protein, carbohydrates, fats after a workout. And I'm not having this like extra meal of post-workout protein and all this stuff that's kind of nonsense. And then I just wind down. And then at the end of the day, that's where I have my my treat. I like like a fruit popsicle. I just love fruit so much. I'll have like a, a strawberry fruit popsicle. Well, I'll maybe watch some television with my wife before bed, which... I never did watch television for a long time. I, I but I do these days as I realize it's you know it's okay to to oh, relax a little bit when I didn't always give myself permission many years ago to do that. So that's a typical day. And for me, I'll just tell you, I know our audience listening is quite you know very likely not a a forty one year old male bodybuilder who weighs two hundred fifteen pounds. But for me, that's where I'm at, and I eat about three thousand calories a day. And even on that, believe this or not. I have it all documented. My protein consumption is 10% or less of my total calorie intake. It's about 70 to 90 grams. I'm not even in triple digits. 70 to 90 grams of protein on a 3,000 calorie diet for a six foot tall, 215 pound, 41 year old male. And if I'm doing this, and even in my 40s, being in some cases biggest and strongest I've ever been and, and, and all of this, there's no need for others to overdo this protein thing. You know, it's just it's just not necessary. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to show through this dietary intake of real natural foods and then a few of these little uh, treats every now and then. 
That's incredible. I think that's a lovely message. And I know that if you come over to our house, you're going to feel right at home because that's basically (laughs) exactly what we need. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's wonderful. Listen, Robert, we are grateful to you for taking the time sharing your your experiences, your wonderful story with us and with our lovely community members. We're so grateful to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I think this should be the first of hopefully many conversations moving forward. Yeah, that would be great. We'll have to have to do one of these in person one of these days too. And uh, we've done, I, I think this is our fourth interview together, at least. We did two during Holistic Holiday, one during our book launch, maybe another one out there. This is definitely at least four. Uh, we'll have to uh, we'll have to do one of these in person one of these days, and I can't wait. I'll put it on the book. We'll do a bike ride from here to Santa Monica while taping, which we're actually we'll 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 definitely that, do that conversational uh, biking. Conversational that will be bike. fun. How's I have that? I just got some really unique, hopefully really unique podcast opportunities in Los Angeles based on a contact I made in Philadelphia, which would be the you know some of the biggest ones I've ever done in my life you know, even bigger than the Rich Roll podcast. So I might be out there soon. Oh, so I'll let you know how that you. goes. I, I have a suspicion I'll be out in California soon to record hopefully some of the biggest stuff that I've ever done. And uh, and hopefully that really reaches a, a mainstream audience beyond, you know, you know, beyond our core plant-based audience, but, uh, you know, an opportunity to go really mainstream. So we'll, we'll, we'll go bike ride. We're Absolutely. so excited for you. Thank you so much. You. Lots of love to you and, uh, Good luck to you on your amazing journey. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. you.